there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Yeah, and we need about a thousand million Dr. Batars if uh, the American people are going to listen to what the CDC is lying to us all about. Dr. Batar, welcome, my friend. Hey, Robert, how are you? Doing well, doing well. We've been uh, watching this unfolding story all week, each day, new revelations and now new lies coming out of the CDC. And uh, my goodness, uh, if we had, you know, let's say, hoped that they would do a mea culpa and say, yeah, we were wrong, we screwed up, or somebody lied, let's, let's hang them out to dry. That ain't happening. Their their response is un, unreal, and we'll get to that in a little while. But um, you know, incredible. You know, people like Wakefield and and Doctor Hooker and you. I mean, really vindicated by all that you've you've been saying and you've witnessed and you've communicated. But the CDC continuing to obfuscate and deny, despite the insider Bill Thompson, PhD, who was key in that research, the 2004 research article that claimed that there was no link. No increased risk for autism via the MMR vaccination. Yeah, and this, uh, you know, when people end up making those type of statements and they end up starting to create this type of misinformation intentionally, and then the, this misinformation sees the light of day and the light is shined uh, clearly upon what they've been doing, their agenda goes beyond what we have talked about before, whether it's you know, monetary or power, it now clearly shows that this is a difference between good and evil. And because there's no other, there's no other motivation, Robert. I mean, there's no amount of money that would justify literally poisoning tens of thousands to millions here in the United States and then tens of millions worldwide. There's just no justification. There's no amount of money that you can use to justify that. In fact, they would probably have profited more had they done things to prevent this, they mm-hmm. would have made more money because you can monetize that. So what is the motivation to do something like this? It is clearly the difference between light and dark, between good yeah. and evil. Yeah, and I think that's hard for some folks to get because they look at their still, their, their medical institutions, their governmental institutions, their regulatory bodies as Somehow, this is an aberration. Uh, they're really out for us, but somebody screwed up, right? This is this is this is a one-off. But I think their response, the CDC's response, again, we're going to get to it. It's published. We've got it linked in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. National News has been covering it. John Rappaport's been writing about it. We're all in on this as far as getting it out to the world and 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 giving a, a perspective that you're not going to get from the media that is pretending it doesn't even exist. Uh, we, we see that this pattern of denial is going to work against them. Instead of thinking that they're going to bring more people back into the vaccine fold, they're going to drive more people away because they're not honestly taking stock of what's gone on here, what one of their own has said. Exactly. It's, it's one of these things that uh, the desperation is what will create this need for them to deny it because really there is nothing else. That, there's no recourse. They can't come clean now. It's too late for them to come clean. If they were to come clean, it would have been 20 years ago. It would have been 
you know, sometime around the time of those movies like Mercury Rising, Bruce Willis, and some of the other things we've talked about in the mid-1990s, right. after three, four, five years. But to have staked your name, your reputation, expecting the status quo to be upheld over the last 24, well, since the National Vaccine Initiative, which was started in 1991, we are 23 years into this lie. And once you're mm-hmm. 23 years into a lie that has caused massive, massive amount of human casualty, more human casually than any uh, recorded event in history has caused, and you are the reason that this tra- travesty occurred, you cannot now go back and say, oh, you know what, we made a mistake. You can't do that. I mean, that's what, you know, I've said this to you off the air, on the air, this is what civil wars are made out of. So there's no way they can go back and and admit that they made a mistake. The only option for them at this point now is to deny it and to yeah. continue deny it as they get buried denying it. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> there's nothing else they can do because they're still well, their and, own and, But this is indeed what their playbook is. If anybody thought they would finally go, oh, you got us, we're, we're busted. <laughs> no, they're not going to do that. Uh, they lie, uh, you know, as sure as they show up for work at that level. I'm not saying that every underling knew what was going on at CDC. As I said, we've acknowledged the role of the good people there, particularly the toxicologists. But in this regard, the study that they did, uh, what they call a cohort study of some kind for MMR, just as trying to determine, hey, does this thing increase the risk for autism? Of course, the fix was in when they excluded certain populations of the cohort study. They, they said, oh, these black kids... These boys, they don't have birth certificates. Now, initially, that wasn't part of the exclusion criteria. Only after they showed, oh, my gosh, look at what the data is showing us. And Bill Thompson warned and said to Julie Gerberding in a letter, we have now released it, Natural News has released it as well. And the whistleblower released it to Brian Hooker initially. And and they said we saw uh, perhaps triple, 340% increase risk or actual happening of MMR if those little boys got the shots according to the CDC schedule on time. Exactly. And see, here's the thing. <clears throat> it's, it's, you know, when you're saying that there's a three to 400% increase in the specific subpopulation, you have to understand that overlooking that is one thing. But to create an exclusion criteria specific to a subpopulation mm-hmm. and you know, consciously saying, okay, if you're black, to be included in the data that shows the increase in epidemiological incidence, we will eliminate those that do not have a birth certificate. However, for the white population, there is no such exclusion criteria. That is the smoking gun. If they were to say, okay, let's exclude all people, uh, all children that don't have a birth certificate, Mm -hmm. okay, there would be maybe, even though, you know, albeit a very slight argument that they could make, it would still be a highly suspect argument. But by them taking that exclusion criteria and specifically allowing it or, or, or implementing it only for one specific subpopulation, i.e. the black children, yeah. because the lower socioeconomic class of, of, uh, of the society uh, in that spe- specific subpopulation, a lot of them don't have birth certificates. Uh, they're raised in single-family homes, etc., etc., whatever the case may be. By excluding that criteria, they were able to significantly reduce the number of children that were being affected by mm-hmm. the thimerosal, by the MMR vaccine, and, and 
that's really where the problem lies because it shows that they manipulated the data to create the result that they wanted to show. Yeah, they needed to show, desperately needed to show. Now, the CDC, in response to requests as to why they excluded these, uh, particularly the black little boys here with no birth certificate, here's what they said. Access to the information on the birth certificates allowed researchers to assess other important characteristics, including possible risk factors for autism, such as the child's birth weight and gestational age, mother's age and education, this information was not available for the children without birth certificates. Hence, the CDC uh, study did not present data on black children from the whole study sample. Well, guess what? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but but hold on. Hold on, Dr. Mattar. you got to listen to this. <laughs> However, what we found out, Georgia birth certificates do not contain the following information. Mother's education, <laughs> baby's weight, baby's gestational age. So it's, it's, it's another lie. And, 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 and birth certificates, traditionally, I would challenge every American that's listening to the show to go and put your own birth certificate and the birth certificate of your children and show me how many people, how many states actually record all that data on a birth certificate. Because they, we're they here don't. in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. None, of our, none of my kids have that information recorded in their birth certificate. And I don't yep. think any birth certificate I've ever seen that information on. Right. But, but Robert, here, let's, put, let's <laughs> go one step further. Yeah. Fine. Let's say that that is the reason that they did it. Why didn't they do that for the white population? Why didn't they exclude the same data, the, the same issues? Why didn't they put the same stipulations in for all the patients? Why would they just do it with the black kids? Mm-hmm. Posing a good because, question, are we? Well, because here's the thing. The reason they didn't need to do that with the white kids was because the incidence was lower. So they didn't have to have any kind of exclusion criteria. Yep, see, and, and guess what? All the moms in Georgia right now are all going to dig those uh, birth certificates up, and they're going to find exactly what we've said here. You're right. It doesn't have well, any forget, of that forget information. Forget about moms just in Atlanta. Moms everywhere in the planet. Go and check your kids' birth certificates. I want to know. In fact, that's a challenge. Let's put that challenge out. Every parent that's listening to this radio show, pull a child's birth certificate, and let's see how many birth certificates throughout the United States or throughout the world actually record that data. And I would say it would be less than 1%. Oh, if no, that, Dr. Batar, the CDC could never get something like that wrong. <laughs> this is just, it's just, you know, it's an embarrassment to be part of the human species right now. Yeah, I know the, the, the kind of things that they're doing. And, and there are defenders of the faith. There are those who are just up in arms over our community for daring to question, for daring to challenge, for daring to posit that there might be less than higher ideals in regards to the defense of their study, which the data was clearly manipulated so it wouldn't show the increased risk in, in subpopulations or in any children whatsoever. And so to vindicate some of the folks that have been going on saying this for years, not something they're going to allow to happen easily. But at the same time, we're going to continue to discuss this, whether they claim to have the power over the vaccine schedule or not, because the moms and dads that are in the know now are going to say no now. No more for my kids. And, it's, and the people that have been saying no for their own kids and that have been ridiculed, that have been ostracized, that have been demonized as these bad, uncaring parents for exposing their children to unnecessary and unknown risks, well, this is also your vindication because now finally you know that you, your, your own actions, whoever's listening to this, your actions have saved your child from becoming a victim because you listened to your heart, you listened to your soul, you mm-hmm. allowed the universal consciousness to guide you, you allowed the creator that, he, that the creator gave us this brain, you allowed the usage of that brain to exercise judicious judgment 
And as a result, you have protected your child or safeguarded your child and or yourself. And for those people, just like in the PBS special, Robert, that they came and filmed myself and four of my patients for 12 hours, and, you know, they contacted me, I don't know how many times, and we insisted that the first, first, first three times I said I wasn't going to do it, and then, then I said, okay, only if you interview some of my patients. And they aired it, and the people were so so excited, the PBS crew that came out was so excited. And when they aired it, um, they never aired a single second, and they demonized the parents that actually uh, abstained from vaccination. Exactly. And we're going to see more of that happen. They're desperate on that side of the vaccine death cult. We're not going to stand for it. We're going to sit for it. We're going to let you know all about it with Dr. Bittar here on Advanced Medicine Monday. If you ever miss a show, along with all the other podcast versions, you also have MedicalRewind.com, a great place to go. There's a mumps outbreak in Ohio. We'll ask Dr. Bittar if you should panic. Stand by. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. If you're new to the show, it's Dr. Rasha Bittar with us each and every Monday, kicking the week off in high medical style, advanced medical style, advanced medicine Monday, medicalrewind.com if you miss the show. And Dr. Bittar, a great uh, elucidation on uh, what's going on with the CDC, revealing some more of these things about the birth certificates, the nonsense, the back, the backstepping, if you will, but never acknowledging the facts or the truth. Now, here's a story out of Ohio i got to ask you about, Dr. Bittar. The mumps is back. There's a mumps outbreak in Ohio, and they're saying, oh, if you don't have your shots, you can't come to school. And I'm thinking, as I've said so many times before, if you keep your kids out of government education indoctrination centers, they'll be smarter, not so bad. But that way, only the vaccinated kids can get the mumps. Well, you know, that's, that's a very, very good point, obviously. And uh, we know that we've made these points many times, Robert. But here's the question that I would have. What did they do for mumps when you were a kid? I, I don't know that they were doing a whole heck of a lot. I mean, just go back, well, get some rest, drink, drink some fluids, somehow get you through it. Let's ask Don. Don, what did you, what did your parents do? What did your community do when people got the mumps in your community? Um, I don't even remember the mumps in my community when I was a kid. I, well, they, they keep you home anyway. I mean, it's not like it's new, you know. They don't well, have mumps not, parties. So, so let me tell you because I do remember because I got the mumps. And the treatment for mumps is fluids mm-hmm. and bed rest, yep. and it is a self-limiting issue. And if you put a person on antibiotics, it will actually increase the duration of the mumps. Why? Because it's a viral issue, and the thought process is, oh, we need to put people on antibiotics because, because they have a viral issue, their immune system is suppressed, and they become susceptible to the secondary bacterial infections blah, 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 BS, BS, because when you don't put a person on antibiotics for the mumps, because, again, it's not going to have any effect on the mumps. You're just killing off the good flora, and it creates the increased duration of the the problem. But the treatment for mumps is nothing. It is (laughs) self-limiting. That's what I remembered a little bit. You said fluids and rest, and you just kind of stay at home and recover. Now, I didn't know of homeopathy growing up because homeopaths know there are remedies for the mumps, and we know of silver for the immune system and other things. There's nothing wrong with doing those things, but to address it with antibiotics. Wait a second. Robert, why would we even want to do that? Here's my question. 
you said there's a mumps outbreak in Ohio. And what I would say, hey, I got to take my kids over there so they can acquire the mumps, get natural immunity, and be good to go. <laughs> oh, no. Heresy. Medical heresy. But, I mean, honestly, it's a self-limiting issue. Mm-hmm. Once you get it, you don't get it again. So why not get exposed to it and get, get rid of it? And I would you, venture that the people that are getting the mumps are getting it from the freaking vaccine. Oh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, to your point, too, I'm so glad you brought up that historical memory. I had vague memories exactly like you described. We didn't really do anything. And you recovered. But now the mumps is tantamount to a death sentence, according to the way the media covers this. Oh, my gosh, how outrageous parents won't give their kids the MMR shot, which, by the way increases the incidence of autism and the spectrum and all of that. So here we have more misinformation coming out of the mainstream news. Yeah, and I know I know we're going to have to go to break uh, here shortly, but I just want to bring something up, and I know it's a parallel or an analogy that probably some of us won't get, but I think you'll appreciate it. It's like when you're talking to an economist of our generation or even of the previous generation, and you talk about the Federal Reserve and you know the currency backed by gold, and they look at you like you've got two heads and four tails, and they laugh, and they say, well, that's, you know, archaic information. Yet we know that history repeats itself. And to mm-hmm. worry about, um, you know, getting a mumps vaccine is to talk about how economic policy, well, it's probably not a good analogy for me to make, but especially since <laughs> I'm, I'm a doctor and I shouldn't be talking about economic policy. But my point is, you know, this is like trying to say, oh, it's ridiculous to talk about gold as an asset because that's outdated. It's archaic, it's primitive, that used to be what they did in the past, but they don't do that anymore. That's only what they did for 5,000 or 10,000 years of recorded history, but, you know, <laughs> we have evolved now in the last 50 right. years, we don't deal with that. We don't do it. Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not an economist. No, there you no. go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing, what you're saying is right, man, you are so on, Dr. Batar. it's great, exactly that. If you bring up the fact that, wow, the Constitution says, the Coinage Act of 1792 says uh, money is gold, it's backed by gold. It is gold. And the paper is just redeemable as a certificate. It says that's what it is. And and you, you say, well, it's all, that's an anachronistic concept. That's great. Just like Dr. Batar said, back even in the 1970s, 60s, whatever, you didn't do anything. There was nobody freaking out over the mumps. But you don't know that if you watch the media the old mainstream, lamestream, pharmaceutically conflicted media, but not here, not now, not ever. Not on the Robert Scott Bell Show. It's certainly not with Dr. Batar. Check it out. Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. We have links to his international best-selling book as well. We've got questions of the day on mental decline associated with stroke, recovery, and pregnancy. We'll see if we can fit all these questions in coming back. Statins, too? Oh, yeah. Cognitive decline, but not here. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come. Nailed to it, save man, Rocky. That was a great segment. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the greatest show. Scott Belcher. Alive, it's alive, it's alive. The masked man who outsmarted you on your gang is none other than Robert Scott Bell. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. Robert Scott Bell. You see, we're on a mission from God. 
All right, last hour we talked about fluoride lowering IQ. Studies around the world, Iran included, and China, they know it. Why don't we know it here in America? Well, duh. Uh, we're on too much fluoride. Well, now we got room for uh, statin drugs. They are also evidently causing cognitive decline. Wonder why? We'll get into that. And here's a story. Super Don, am I confirming that right? They, there was a statin story also talking about this uh, cognitive decline? Uh, no, actually, it was it was a situation where we failed to mention this uh, mm-hmm. a while back when we were talking about mental decline, about how statins can contribute to that. So we just wanted to make note of the fact that there, there obviously is a connection between statin use, older okay, Americans right. having mental decline, and then that leading to stroke. I thought we've said that so many times, but I guess, you know, never can't say it enough. But a little here's birdie, a, a little birdie uh, said that in our ear uh, prior to the show, if you remember. Right, right. And more complaints than ever before. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Batar is here. And, of course, if you ever miss a show when we're together, met, uh, medicalrewind.com is an easy place to get them. Mental decline, a risk factor for stroke a study suggests. And we have a question of the day coming from, uh, in fact, we got two, and I'll let, I'll let uh, Dr. Batar hear this because there's a nice intro for it. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. <laughs> so here it is. You know, it's kind of not serious, but it's serious. It's a serious question. It almost doesn't go with it. This comes from DK and asks, what would you do if someone you loved had a stroke? They're okay other than memory. They're having a hard time with numbers. Thank you. Okay, DK, this is a perfect question for Dr. Batar. Well, as you know, Robert, and many people that have been listening to the show know that my father had a stroke last, uh, actually last, what was it, last uh, October, I guess. It was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. And he had a complete hemiparesis, and um, basically was told that he would not be able to walk again. He could barely talk, couldn't swallow, um, definitely couldn't even sit up, couldn't walk. Um, and I just talked with him this morning, and with the grace of uh, the Almighty, you know, he's even got his fine motor skills back. His signature looks the same as it did before. Um, he's not at 100%, but I would say he's probably at 95%. 90s, mm-hmm. 95%, and, uh, but we had him walking within um, less than 30 days. And it happened in October, and I told my family that he'd be walking by Thanksgiving, and the week before Thanksgiving he was able to stand up and take some steps So uh, on his own without any support. So is it possible? Of course it's possible. We've got numerous studies uh, that we have not studied, excuse me, no, numerous um, documentation, video documentation of patients that were post-stroke, uh, wheelchair-ridden, bedridden. In fact, uh, Robert, I think you saw the video, the video that you narrated for the cardiovascular disease. We mm-hmm. have uh, the president of the World Taekwondo Federation, a ninth-degree grandmaster, that was bedridden six years after a pontine stroke, and within two weeks we had him up, and he was actually kicking, and you know, he, he basically gets very emotional in the video and thanked me in front of about... 200 martial artists for giving him a second life. And so it's very, very possible. It's just a matter of knowing uh, what to do. And that's really what it comes down to. So it's a, either a reperfusion uh, issue or it's an occlusion issue. And, um, you know, it's my, my son and I were talking this morning and we were doing some math. As you know, my youngest one is homeschooled. We were doing some math and the, the issue came up, and I think this is very pertinent to this particular component. We were talking about 
how when you're taking a test, you have to, what's the, what's the objective of taking a test? My son said to learn. I said, no, it's actually to test how well you've learned. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing when you take a test is look at the question and understand what they're asking. Because 90% of tests, as far as I'm concerned, they're foolish. It's like, you know, the, the way that you ask the question, you can answer it a couple of different ways. So even though I know the fallacy of what maybe they may be asking my son because it wasn't asked clearly, I told him, I said, ask yourself, what is the question that they are trying to get from me? And then answer it. The reason that most medicine fails is because they don't ask the right question. They're, they're making a supposition and making an assumption of what the question is, and then they're trying to answer it. And the reason they fail is because they're answering the wrong question. You follow what mm-hmm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you cannot, by definition, come up with the right answer if the question that you're asking is the wrong question. So if you're saying, how many um, cows are they in the field, but you count the number of uh, horses, but you haven't asked the right question, you haven't, you haven't addressed the right question, so you're never going to get the right number of cows. So in medicine, right, when you're talking about, like, with a stroke injury patient, what right. is the issue? Well, these people, first of all, get put on medication to control their blood pressure. They get put on medication to control their arrhythmias. You know, there's usually an atrial fibrillation issue, and they're uh, trying to prevent further clots. Um, they're put on anti-statin. Uh, they're put on statin drugs, anti-cholesterol medication, um, to theoretically uh, prevent the fats from creating a problem. They're put on blood thinners to decrease the viscosity of the blood. Um, they're put on all these different pharmaceuticals to elicit a physiological response. Yet none of these drugs address the issue. What's the issue? The issue is not the blood pressure that went up causing the stroke or not the uh, high fats in the blood or you know, all these other components. The issue is that the body has a higher level of oxidative stress and in the vessel wall, it's affecting the endothelium, causing mm-hmm. a hardening of the vessels and a constriction and that then causes the vessels to become more brittle, less elastic, they have less pliability, and so the story goes. You cannot, uh, you cannot fix a problem unless you first define what mm-hmm. that problem is, and failure to define the issue at hand will certainly, 100% of the time, result in a failure. Right, and you've heard the, the, the comments that you can't fix stupid, but if stupid is uh, chemically induced, if you remove the chemical interference, then cognition can come back online. It is possible. We've seen it. Remove the heavy metals. Wow, look what can happen. And and that's a great perspective. I also encourage people to, again, look to supplementing selenium, look to supplementing silica, all the things we know the body needs, but the stroke docs are not into that. They're into, as you said, managing the symptoms that may have contributed, but were not really the cause of the original issue of stroke. And God bless you for helping your dad like you would, of course that your dad listened to you, he hardly had time to get discouraged like so many do in their recovery. Well, I also, I also basically just went to the hospital and signed him out and basically told him that, you know, we're going back. Mm-hmm. And um, his answer was okay, and that was it. We're going back right. to uh, the house, to, to, to Charlotte, and he said, okay, and that's it. That was all. Well done, well done. Well, let's go back to childbearing years, pregnancy. Uh, Lisa writes in, she says her sister-in-law is her 33rd week of pregnancy and has been told that she is at high risk of preeclampsia. She also found out that she has obstetric cholestasis, OC. Can you describe what that is, Dr. Bittar? Um Well, essentially, Robert, it's um, cholestasis is essentially 
uh, like cholelithiasis or cholecystitis, it's, it's another issue affecting the gallbladder. So cholestasis is essentially stagnation of the mm-hmm. flow of bile. You can, that's okay. probably a good way of looking at it. All right. Well, that gives us some perspective on what's going on. They want to put her on a drug um, and vitamin K and different things for absorption, I guess, issues. And she's doing some good supplements, chlorella, spirulina, some uh, blood-building uh, uh, supplements, which are nice. But she's wondering if there's some any other suggestions you might have in a situation like this. Uh, well, there's a lot of things that can be done, Robert. But you know, when you start dealing with specific issues, you know what the dealing with. Yeah, you issues. have to be general, obviously, because you can't play right. doctor on the radio except to educate, inform, and that's kind of where we're at in this regard. Right. I will tell you that one of the key things that I learned that I use in my practice all the time that I used when I was in acute care medicine, when I was in trauma medicine, when I was doing ER medicine, uh, it was from an old-time obstetrics uh, doctor where he gave magnesium mm-hmm. for intravenous magnesium for eclampsia. That's how it actually started, and then he did it with other types of conditions. I've used it in acute myocardial infarction. I've used it in acute exacerbation of asthma, of reactive airway disease. Um, and especially in the preeclampsia, all the old-time OBGYNs, even actually the modern OBGYNs, would probably be fine with that. But, you know, it's probably something that they're still taught in residency. Um, the internists and such may not, uh, they may think that you're kind of crazy, but basically magnesium in an absorbable form, if, you, if it's IV, like magnesium sulfate, or if it's uh, oral, something like magnesium you know, glycinate or magnesium lysinate, even magnesium citrate that you can get from like Walmart or CVS or something. You know, mag- magnesium is a very, very good thing for eclampsia and for preeclampsia. And by reducing that component, you're going to basically improve everything else. So I don't Absolutely. know the obvious history, you know, of this patient, but um, that's a, that's about as general that I would want to say it. But again, under treat the, or address the underlying imbalances. And mm-hmm. it's almost always, in this particular case, a mineral deficiency because the mother is shunting all the nutrient supply to the fetus, and so the mother ends up basically self-sabotaging her own body. So a wide deficiency, array of yeah. mineral supplementation is key, and uh, magnesium being one of the most important ones. Well, and that's why we've seen also the so-called gestational diabetes. Uh, the, the, the little baby that's developing needs so much chromium to protect chromosomal integrity and for other reasons that the mother gets deficient in a mineral, just like that. So we've seen the remedy being supplementing. Of course, in this case, if there is malabsorption, there's digestive disorder scenarios, we need to correct that as well. And again, homeopathic medicine is something I love to do in that way. It's simple. It's safe. There's no toxicity associated with it. If you give the wrong remedy, there's no harm to the baby or the mother uh, if you don't know how to do other things safely as well. But uh, to jump into drugs and other synthetics, of course, we'd like to not see that happen as quickly as it often does. You're absolutely right, Robert. And so keeping it as wide, keeping the net as wide as you can when you throw it, and, of course, essential, the essential elements, the essential minerals um, being very crucial. They're, they're called essential for a specific reason, but usually there's an imbalance in these essential minerals. So magnesium is one of the widest. Magnesium and potassium are one of the highest ratios of the uh, intracellular minerals. We need to make sure that they're balanced. All right. Well, we're entering the wild card round here with Dr. Rashi Bittar, Advanced Medicine. It is uh, the Medical Rewind, medicalrewind.com for archives of this specific version of the show. You'll love it. Lots of hundreds of hours now available. 
And, of course, uh, we'll find out if Dr. Bittar is going to be where you are. And check it out. The links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We'll see where we go for broadcast healing like nowhere else in media. After this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. I feel like we're going to do like a high wire circus act here because of the, you know, the, the, the dangerous discussions we have with Dr. Batar. They're not so dangerous for us, but certainly they're considered dangerous by the medical establishment, the authoritarians who don't want you to know or to be empowered to heal yourself or to help others to heal unless they give you permission. And on the Robert Scott Bell Show, no permission is required. You're an adult. Well, I know we got some kids that listen, but when you get there, you'll be an adult and you'll understand. Well, hopefully we're, we're teaching you well. But, Dr. Batar, we've got a story about what you shouldn't do. Kids, are you listening? Uh, CDC workers, are you listening? FDA workers, are you listening? If you want to breathe fire, do not inhale the combustible substance first. Am I making this up, Super Don? Uh, no, you're, you're not. And apparently there was a uh, this novice uh, fire breather that uh, ended up ingesting and inhaling the, uh, the, the, as you said, combustible substance and ended up getting pneumonia from it. But that's all he got. He he got out lucky, Doctor Batar. Yeah, he didn't explode. He fortunately. <laughs> well, I think is this is this a story that came out before or after the story that said before you go to the bathroom you should pull down your pants. <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder. Somebody's not. You know, this is a basic thing when you do the fire breathing thing. I mean, I think Gene Simmons from the rock group Kiss knew that long ago. Yeah, well, I mean, my question is, you know, why would you want to breathe fire? But hey, listen, if you are going to breathe it, you want to. <laughs> You know, you're special and you want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you also don't want to try to breathe water. Uh, it's, right. You know, it yeah. have side effects of that, too. It, it may not be as quite as burning, but, you know, it'll right. probably result in the same outcome. And that not is a good plan. We're lucky that, you know, you didn't combust or anything like that. But the point is, mm. we, we weren't designed to ventilate water. We weren't designed to ventilate smoke. We weren't designed to ventilate fire. So, I mean, right. I, can't, I can't believe that they had actually published that. that it's only it's only pneumonia. I mean, it's it's be more like a miracle story that guy only got pneumonia. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Got. You know, and the funny thing is, when you say don't breathe water, I obviously agree. But the thing is, we it, like if we take the silver hydrosol and put it in a nebulizer and vaporize it into a state where we can inhale it. Silver for burn care is about the best thing we got going. Oh, absolutely. I mean, silver dean is you know developed. Silver dean is the uh, gold standard for any type of burn trauma patient. In fact, it was developed at the Institute of Surgical Research at Brook Army Medical Center, where I did my residency at. And uh, it's, you know, it's silver-based. It's called Silver Dean, for God's sake. It's, it's a silver-based mm-hmm. uh, cream. But, but the but, cool thing uh, is that... Nebulizing that, silver is something that we do in the clinic all the time. It's very Yeah, very I was saying that, that you have access to things that are far more active than the silver Dean, even, in a gel form and, a, and in a liquid form. Yeah, uh, and, and there's many different... I mean, silver is just a good thing, but Again, that you're forming an aerosol and inhaling that, which is therapeutic, versus the fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't light the silver on fire if you breathe it in in an aerosol. It won't light on fire, so you'll be okay. Well, it will if you take it with fire and you you know you breathe in fumes <laughs> and I mean uh, some type of a fuel and fire with the silver. Then you could potentially, I don't know what that would do, but yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah is, rocket rocket fuel would do that as well. But we don't recommend exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, have we gotten a little bit silly. But, hey, we really need to balance out the seriousness. I mean, if you think about what's happening now on the CDC story, 
you've got outraged moms all over this land and probably all over the world that are following up on this story. And they're, as we said, pulling out birth certificates and finding out how badly the CDC has lied once again about the link between vaccines, MMR, and, and the autism spectrum, the damage to the brain and the nervous system. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very sad state of affairs, Robert, and God willing, um, those that are that, that have created this wrong will be adequately addressed by, you know, as far as what their adequate punishment is in the afterlife. I mean, I'm not a person that's, you know, very religious and believe in hell or heaven or whatever you want to call it, but there are certain people that if there's such a thing as a heaven, they've directly, you know, they've done something to find their way into heaven. They've gotten a, they've gotten a free pass into heaven because of some of their actions. Well, on the counterpoint here, whoever mm-hmm. was responsible for this, they've got a one-way ticket to the other mm-hmm. side. Yeah, the, those that are working at the CDC and defending the vaccine brand in this regard, hiding and manipulating the data, I believe Julie Gerber included, if there is a hell, your beliefs, whatever they are out there, she's going to be there. And if you want to go and see her, I don't recommend it either. But, uh, it, you know, the things that she'll have to account for based on these cover-ups, and she's not the only one. And by the way, Robert, I just want to say, you don't want to go there. You don't mm-hmm. want to go to hell, not just because it's hell, but yeah. because she's going to probably recommend you take a vaccine. <laughs> right, exactly. In order to get in, you're going to have to get 10 vaccines or 100 or 1,000 like Paul Offit at once. Listen, Dr. Batar, always great to hang out with you on an Advanced Medicine Monday. Check it out, Dr. Batar, D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R.com. The international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. All things are linked at robertscabell.com. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Super Don. Thank you, Matt, on the board. We'll be back tomorrow. We've got uh, Paul Barrichero. We've got, wow, we got some stuff coming up. We're looking to get Rob Schneider on soon, too. We'll let you know. Thank you for being here, my friends. The power to heal. You know it. It's yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.